Good morning, Lakeside family and visitors who are joining with us. It is good to be with you again on a Sunday morning and to be able to look into God's Word together. And you may have noticed, if you have been following, following along in Matthew, that in the last three chapters and the last three sermons, that the tone of Matthew has taken a bit of a turn. In Matthew 20, when Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, and after his triumphal entry in Matthew 21, the words and actions of Jesus have taken a significant shift. He's turning over tables in the temple. He's exercising his authority, cursing fig trees, accepting all challenges of his teaching from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the priests, and the scribes. He's declaring himself openly as the Messiah. He's rebuking the false religion of the elite. And so the warm fuzzies of the Sermon on the Mount and the pastoral setting of the feeding of the 5,000 by the seaside in Galilee and the welcoming children onto his knee seem far, far away now. In Jerusalem, we seem to get the urban Jesus and he's a bit more of a street brawler than we expected. He is the Lamb of God who is going to the cross to save us from our sins. But he's reminding us also that he is the Lion of Judah. The cross saves those who repent, but it also condemns those who refuse. And in Matthew 23, we're going to encounter Jesus in his most lion-like moment and at his most condemning. Jesus has chosen this final week of his life as the time to reveal his full and complete identity to his people Israel. And we have to remember that chapters 21 through 25 of Matthew are just as much the real Jesus as the rest of the gospel is. And so what do we do with this? As we read this, as we consider our walk with Jesus and our knowing Jesus, what do we do with this shift in tone? What do we do with the unveiling of a righteous judge? What do we do with the glimpse of the wrath reserved for his enemies? We can't ignore it. We can't run from it. And so we have to lean into it with awe and with honesty and solemnity because Jesus is not trying to destroy us with these words. He is trying to save us. We must allow them to work in our hearts exactly as Jesus intends them to. So to be honest, I can assure you that this will not be the happiest sermon you will hear at Lakeside Church, but it may be the most important one that you hear. And even if it isn't the happiest message from Jesus, it is a message, as always, that leaves us with hope. In this chapter, Jesus is making it very clear that it is possible, just like the Pharisees that he is rebuking, to believe and put your hope in a genuinely false gospel. It is possible to be firmly convinced that you are under the favor of God when you are in fact still his enemy. It is possible to believe that you are doing good's work when you are actually serving against his kingdom. To believe that you will be saved when in fact you are under condemnation and will not be saved. It is possible, Jesus is making this clear to us, to think you are a Christian when in fact you are not. And that is downright terrifying and really strikes most of us as offensive. It's the kind of sermon that many churches won't even preach anymore, but Jesus preaches it. 
And yet, even as Jesus stresses this outcome as firmly and frighteningly as he does, this reality that we can think we are saved when we are not, as he's doing that, he also shows us how this can happen to the Pharisees or to us, to any false believers. And in showing us how this can happen, he then shows us how to ensure that it isn't happening and doesn't happen. We see the, necess- the necessary content of our Christian life that guards us against this deception that he's uncovering in the Pharisees. And so as we consider this text today in Matthew, we will see a repetition of two important characteristics of these deceived Pharisees. They are hypocrites, that is, they do not live according to their teaching, and they are blind. They do not look at their hearts and their lives in an honest, self-examining way in order to know their error. Because this is the truth. We are prone to and susceptible to the same error as these Pharisees in chapter 23. But we are only prone and susceptible to it if we refuse to look honestly at our hearts and we refuse to live according to the truth. And so the antidote that we will see to blindness and hypocrisy is eyes wide open examination of our hearts and diligent living according to the Spirit of God. That's what chapter 23 has to tell us. And let's just pray before we look into this chapter and into the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the full revelation of Jesus Christ in his entirety, all of his nature, which is a perfect reflection of you. Father, I pray that we would lean into these verses and not be afraid of them, but to let them do the work that you intend them to do, to examine our hearts and to convict us of the things we need to do in order to lean into and treasure and to love you more and to live rightly according to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm not going to read all of chapter 23. It's a long chapter, and I encourage you to later today this week and this week. But let's just look at the outline of Jesus' teaching here, and then I'm just going to focus in on four indicative verses that speak to the heart of what Jesus is driving at, I think, here. In the first 12 verses of chapter 23, Jesus begins by talking about the Pharisees. If you read those first 12 verses, he says they sit in the seat of authority. They often teach a good lesson, but don't apply that lesson properly to their own lives. And so he says, don't imitate them. They're arrogant. They're putting on a show with their outward appearances of devotion. They want your approval and your applause. If they were real leaders, they would be humble in serving you, not making your life harder. They're using religion to crush you under greater burdens when in fact it should be lifting your burdens, and they won't even carry the burdens themselves that they expect you to. And if you're ever in a church where the leadership resembles the first 12 verses of chapter 23, you need to confront that leadership on how they're leading and do your part to guard the church against wicked leadership. And if that church can't be redeemed, honestly, if it stays like the first 12 verses of chapter 23, you need to find another church. Because Jesus says, this is not how the leaders are supposed to be leading you from the seat of authority. And just another important note from this section, that the people around Jesus are a mixed company. Verse 1 says that he is speaking to the crowds and to his disciples. So there are curious onlookers and there are Jesus followers in this crowd. And from verse 13 on, we know that among the crowd were also the Pharisees. Because at verse 13, Jesus stops talking about the Pharisees and he starts talking to the Pharisees, but with everyone else listening. 
And why is that important? It's important because it would be a mistake to approach this text with the attitude, well, I'm not a Pharisee, and so Jesus is nothing to say here about me. And some people actually do try to deal with this text that way because they don't want to listen to what Jesus has to say here. And so some people come to this chapter and they say, this is Jesus talking in the first century to Pharisees and to people who are not like me. And so I don't need to listen to this and it has nothing to teach me. But this crowd that Jesus is speaking in contains onlookers. It contains his disciples and the Pharisees. And Jesus knows that there is something here for his disciples to learn, even as he speaks to the Pharisees. So these verses are for us as well. Beyond chapter, thir- beyond chapter, beyond verse 13, we encounter now the seven woes of Jesus, the warnings of condemnation. And in summary here, Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because... You think you are leading people into the kingdom of God, but you are not in the kingdom of God yourself. And in fact, you are preventing people from entering into the kingdom of God. And he says, woe to you because you think you are doing this great missionary work, traveling across the seas and into other countries to bring the word of God to people. But instead of leading people into the kingdom, you are actually leading people to hell. And woe to you Pharisees, because you are more concerned with theological debates over the law than with serving people in love. And woe to you Pharisees, because you justify sin according to your traditions rather than fleeing sin according to God's truth. And then Jesus goes on, and we'll come to our main text. And let's just read Matthew 23, 23 to 26. And Jesus continues, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean out the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean out the inside of the cup and the plate, and then the outside may also be clean. And then Jesus finishes with a final woe to the Pharisees, revealing that they are just like their forefathers who killed the prophets and the messengers of God, and they personally will continue to do so, including, as we know, Jesus himself. And so as we read through this text, and as you do so later, there are many lessons in Matthew chapter 23, many lessons. But we're trying to cover the whole final week of Jesus and the whole final third of Matthew in the leading up to Easter, so we can't get into all of them. There's at least seven lessons we know because we have seven woes, and those are good lessons to meditate on, and perhaps in your life groups this week you will. But what I want to focus on today is just to see that every rebuke and every woe that Jesus levels against the Pharisees is accompanied by a description of them, and it is always the same two descriptions. And if you had a pencil handy as you read, you might have seen the repetition and circled the words to consider their importance. Woe to you Pharisees, you hypocrites! Woe to you, you blind guides, blind fools, blind men. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you hypocrites. Woe, you hypocrites. Woe, you blind Pharisees. 
Six times Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites and five times he calls them blind. Every time he mentions them, he names them either hypocrite or blind. Jesus applies one of these two characteristics to them. They are blind hypocrites. That is their fundamental problem. We can ask ourselves as we read this chapter, why are the Pharisees in all of this danger? How did these religious people stray so far from a true interpretation of the word of God? How did they get their ministry and their mission so backwards that they actually have become enemies of God? Why are they failing to enter the kingdom of God? And the answer, Jesus says, is the same for them all the time because they've made themselves blind and they do not live rightly according to the truth. And our two sample woes or our sample verses here serve as an illustration really for all seven. The first one, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus here, when he's talking about the Pharisees, he's talking about how scrupulous and careful the Pharisees are to try to obey the law. They would even get out a knife or a scale and and portion out a tenth of their spices that they bring home from the market. And meanwhile, as they are portioning out one-tenth of the spices that they bought at the market to make sure that, you know, Jesus gets his due, they have been ignoring some major things like justice and mercy and trusting and faith and hope in God. Tithing spices is an easy and convenient way to obey the law. But pouring ourselves out to bring justice to the vulnerable and serving people in need and living outside of our self-security, wholly dependent on God, that is what following Jesus really means. And that is a lot harder than just separating out a tenth of your dill or your cumin. It's easy to write a check for your local church. But Jesus cares more about those shut-ins who need a phone call or a visit, the teenagers that need a mentor, the single moms that need a friend, the homeless that need shelter. Jesus isn't saying that our simplest obligations to the law, like tithing, are unimportant. He says these things should be done too. You should do those parts of the law as well. But don't think that by doing the convenient parts of the law, you are somehow exempt from the difficult parts. The, the, the weightier parts of the law is the need of Christians to express costly love, not do the convenient or cheap things of the law, but express costly love. That's what the Pharisees weren't doing. They weren't following the law that would cost them something. In fact, they were using the law explicitly to avoid having it cost them something. And we've talked about that before in the past, how they twisted, you know, the dedication of their things to the temple as an excuse not to care for their elderly parents who were in need. Jesus says, the love that the law calls you to is love that infringes on your time and your comfort, love that is sacrificial towards those that are in need. He's asking, are we willing to get our hands dirty in practical service ministry, or are we content to just cherry-pick the easy commands, like meeting weekly to worship, or even praying and meeting together with fellow Christians and encouraging one another in life groups? 
hey, it's important that we get together on Sunday and worship. It's important that we encourage one another through the week in life groups. But you know what? Those are the easy commands. We want to do those things. They're important too. Don't stop those. But Jesus says, that's like tithing the spices. That's not the meat and the potatoes of the love I call you to, of the law of Christ. And the Pharisees were not living out a proper kingdom life. They were hypocrites. When you examined their life, you realized that they were actually doing everything to their advantage, not selflessly serving out of love. And so the danger to the Pharisees is that they were hypocrites in how they lived. And it can be dangerous for us too. We can live our life as Christians in very self-contented ways and find ways that the serving the word of God and serving our Christian faith benefits us primarily and far less others. You remember we talked about loving our neighbor as ourself. But then he goes on, not only are they hypocrites, He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. The challenge of Jesus to us here is this. Are we focused in our Christian lifestyle on outward cleanliness instead of inward holiness? Are we blind to the impurity of our lives because we believe in our own mask? Every follower of Jesus needs daily to remember that a false veneer of religion is a dangerous cover-up for spiritual deadness. We go to church. We attend life group. We read our daily devotion in the morning. We might teach Sunday school. And everyone around us sees what a good person that we are. And we begin to believe that this outward veneer of goodness is what is actually saving us and protecting us from the wrath of God. Our carefully manufactured persona. We look great on the outside, but we don't want anyone, we don't even ourselves want to look at the inside. We don't want to turn our inward eye towards our inner heart for fear of what we will find here. And this is the problem the Pharisees had. They were praying on the street corners. They were blowing trumpets as they went. They wore the tassels of their, of their robes very long because that was an important part of the law. And they had the best beards. But inside, they were greedy. And they dared not look truly at what they were. The Pharisees and ourselves should be asking questions like, does my inside match my outside? Am I putting as much work into my inner purity as into my outer reputation with my spouse or with my family or with my church? Is there a big gap about, between how I allow other people to perceive me and how I know my true heart to be? Do I really treasure Christ more than I treasure the sinful things that gratify me? Is holiness a joyful thing for me? Do I cultivate purity? These are self-examining questions. This is the look part. This is the avoiding of the blindness. Because if we turn a blind eye towards ourselves, we will be in the same danger as the Pharisees. And if the answer to those questions is no, purity is not a joy for me. Treasuring Christ is not my greatest joy. If those answers are no, 
as it was for the Pharisees, then you are living a blind, unexamined Christianity that can lead to condemnation. So we have to ask ourselves, how can the Pharisees get out of this mess that they are in being blind hypocrites? How can we avoid falling into this mess or get ourselves out of this mess if we are blind hypocrites? If we examine ourselves and wonder, are we really in the kingdom of God or are we deceiving ourselves? They and we need to look honestly and live rightly. The answer to blindness is looking. And the answer to hypocrisy is living according to the truth. Paul gives the Christians in Corinth the same challenge. After hearing reports of how they had been living at the church in Corinth, he says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Paul says, hey, this church here is becoming known for dissension, right? He had to write 1 Corinthians in order to deal with a whole lot of problems in the church in Corinth. There was dissension, there was arguments, there was arrogance, there were lawsuits against each other, there was even sexual immorality and idolatry among them. And Paul is probably thinking about his own days as a Pharisee. He's maybe even considering this rebuke of Jesus to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. And he says, hey, Corinthians, look at yourselves, you blind hypocrites. Look at how you're living. Are you really living as kingdom citizens? Does how you live indicate that you love Jesus more than the world? If our Christianity is characterized by avoiding an honest examination of our own lives, if we spend our Christian life avoiding, confronting, our heart and our flesh and looking deeply into the mirror of scripture and prayer regularly, then we are in the same danger as the blind Pharisees. We need to be holding ourselves up to the mirror of scripture and opening our hearts to God in prayer. James understood the lesson of Jesus' writing as well. He says in James chapter 1, verse 23, for if you listen to the word and don't obey, or put in other words, don't live by it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You see, James says just the opposite of what the Pharisees were doing. He says, look into the law and do it. Look into the law correctly, read it rightly, and then walk in it rightly. That's what the Pharisees weren't doing. So if our Christian life is characterized by behavior that goes directly against what Scripture teaches us, and we live habitually in patterns of behavior that the Scripture rebukes, and we actually make excuses for it and declare that it's not sin the way the Pharisees did, then we are in the same danger as the hypocritical Pharisees. See, the, the Pharisees took the Scripture and actually convinced themselves that the Scripture told them that what they were doing wasn't sin, even though they had taken the law and turned it completely upside down. And Christians do that today. I'm not just talking about Christians who sin. I'm not just, we all sin. I'm not just talking about Christians who struggle with things. We all struggle. But Christians who take the Scripture and rationalize their behavior and justify it so that it's no longer a struggle, so that they actually soothe their conscience by saying, I'm not disobeying scripture. They are in deep, deep trouble. 
John got this lesson. He writes to his Christian friends late in his life. He says in 1 John chapter 2, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. And so we can't read Matthew 23 and pretend it is not about us. We have to come to grips with this true picture of Jesus. He is the Lamb of God, but he is also the Lion of Judah. He is full of grace and truth. The Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the soul and spirit and discerning the intentions of the heart, Hebrew says. It will do us no good to construct a false religion around ourselves and try to hide the motive of our hearts, even from ourselves, or to leave the word of God unexamined and our lives unchanged. If that's your kind of Christianity, that way lies the doom and destruction of the Pharisees and perhaps of you or of me if I start to do it. Is Jesus saying that salvation comes from us just behaving properly? No, we, we know from the rest of the gospel and the rest of the New Testament and even the Old Testament as well that changed behavior is not the way we are saved. Behavior is the way we know that we are saved. That's why it must be examined. That's why Jesus says, don't just clean the outside, clean the inside. It's when the inside gets cleaned that the outside is clean also. That's how faith works. As we come to know Jesus and treasure him and agree with his truth, our insides get transformed and then the behavior, the outside, follows. Jesus' answer to us in this situation is not work harder. It is open your eyes to know me better. Look, behold, treasure who I am and let my love transform you and then your behavior will follow. Blind hypocrites. This is the problem of the Pharisees. And then the final accusation of Jesus is just as penetrating in verses 30 to 32. Jesus reveals that the Pharisees are just like their forefathers who killed every messenger of God and they would kill Jesus as well in order to be rid of him. The ultimate end of blindness and hypocrisy is to utterly remove what you refuse to look at. And if you follow the direction that some churches and some faiths have gone, they have reached this point where Jesus' atonement on the cross is no longer even for their sins. It's not a substitutionary atonement anymore. They've given up on this doctrine that they needed a sacrifice but we won't get into that. But this is the reality. This is where it ends up, Jesus says. You are blind and hypocritical long enough. You will destroy Jesus in your life. And we are they. We are the Pharisees. Our sin, my sin, before I came in faith and hope and trust in Jesus, my sin, Paul Graham's sin, put Jesus on the cross. Your sin put Jesus on the cross. We can't point to the Pharisees or to anyone else and say they did it. Jesus says, you are just like your forefathers. You do the same thing. As John Stott writes, it's so important the way he phrases this. Love John Stott. He's got a great book that I'll give to you that's great for, for people to understand the basics of Christianity. 
I think it's called Basic Christianity. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll give you one if you want it. Just let me know. But as John Stott writes, he says, before we can see the cross as something done for us, and that's mainly how we see the cross, right, as Christians, as we come to the good news of Jesus Christ, we mainly see the cross as something done for us. But he says, before we can really see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. In other words, before we can see the cross as something that leads us to faith and worship and treasuring of Christ, we have to see it as something we need to repent of. Repentance comes before the saving. Jesus announces that the rejection of him will lead to the certainty of judgment, that judgment is certain for us too if we persist in our rebellion against Jesus. This was not only true of the Pharisees, Jesus says in verse 36. He says, all these things will come upon this whole generation. Remember I said it was a mixed crowd that was listening? (laughs) Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, but he says all this condemnation, all of this will come upon this whole generation unless you repent. In other words, everyone is accountable. This is a bitter tonic. It's a bit like Buckley's cough medicine, except a million times worse. It's not easy to swallow, but it does work if we take it, if we allow it. It cures us of the sickness in our heart that is trying to destroy us. This text applies to us very directly in two ways. It applies to church leaders. The Pharisees were seen as leaders of the purest law keepers. They were the holiness movement. They were setting the standard. And those who teach and lead are called repeatedly to the highest standards and place themselves under the greatest scrutiny of God, Scripture tells us. Proverbs 16, 12 says it's an abomination for leaders to do wickedness. 1 Peter 5 says elders must shepherd well. 1 Timothy 3, 2 says elders must be above reproach. There must be correct doctrine and godly living among pastors and elders and teachers and mentors and leaders in the church. The truth of God's word as revealed in Jesus Christ is the sun at the center of our solar system that enlightens us and around which our lives revolve. That is how it must be, the illumination of that sun, which allows us to look the gravitational pull of our treasuring of that sun that leads our life. We need to lead in humility. The first coming last, the greatest being a servant of all. But it applies as well, not just to leaders. This isn't just for the Pharisees. It's not just for the leaders in the church. It applies to all of our lives. We must be neither blind nor hypocrites. We must look at how we live. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with diligence, for from it springs all life. Our heart is what God is going to judge. It's from our heart that is going to spring life, or not, death. And this means we understand the importance of knowing the heart and will of God found in his word, that we hold the word of God constantly up to our lives as a mirror, as James said, and we don't try to distort that mirror or ignore what it reveals. It means that we make real changes in our lives to live according to what we are and what we see. We look and we live rightly according to what we find, and we clean the inside of the bowl so that the outside then is naturally clean. 
And having looked, we also depend utterly on the mercy of Jesus. It's the recognition of our need for mercy that makes us acceptable to God. Not like the Pharisees' overconfidence in our self-sufficiency without Jesus' mercy. When you start thinking like the Pharisees, that you've got it all figured out, and that you're living righteously, and all that God can see is the outside and all the good works, when you start thinking that you don't need Jesus' mercy because you're not really all that bad of a sinner, then you need God's mercy more than ever. The final word on this condemnation, though, is hope. Because Jesus has come with both truth and grace, we can receive his grace by embracing the truth. We do not need to despair while we have the word of God and breath to serve him. Jesus has not come to judge yet. He has come to rescue. He's even come to rescue Pharisees. And let me just finish with this little story from John chapter 3. It's in John chapter 3, remember, it was a Pharisee, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus. He came at night because he feared what his friends would think. But this Pharisee started asking all the right questions, and he received the grace and the truth of Jesus. It was to this Pharisee that Jesus said, you must be born again. To this Pharisee that Jesus said, the Son of Man must be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It was to this Pharisee that Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but inherit eternal life. It was to this Pharisee that Jesus said, whoever does what is true comes into the light, even Pharisees. And so when we read Matthew 23, the end of that story is not condemnation, but hope. The condemning words of Jesus are not meant to destroy us, but to save us. So do not be like the Pharisees. Don't be blind hypocrites. Examine your faith. Examine your Christian life. Examine the inside of the bowl. Look into your heart in prayer and with the help of the Holy Spirit. Compare yourself to the mirror of Scripture, not to distort Scripture, but to conform yourself. Look and do not be blind. Live rightly and walk in the light of treasuring Jesus. And if you do that, Matthew 23 will never apply to you. You will know the love of Jesus and know that your hope is sure. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, and especially for the toughest parts of it. Jesus is a surgeon who knows we have cancer in our hearts, the cancer of sin. And as a good surgeon, he knows that he has to bring the scalpel before he brings the bandage. Before the cross is for us, we have to realize that the cross is against us. We have to recognize that we humble ourselves in repentance first, that our sins put Jesus there. And after that, then the cross is salvation. So Father, let your word be that scalpel. Let it be the two-edged sword that can pierce even to the impossible seeming nature of splitting spirit from soul. <laughs> That's how sharp it is. Father, let it penetrate our hearts. Let us live examined life, not just float along thinking that we can just interpret the Christian life however we want, but that we must conform ourselves to your word. Father, thank you for the light of your Holy Spirit. 
that sheds itself on our hearts so that we no longer live in darkness, so that the cancer can be spotted, so that the scalpel can be applied. Thank you that the healing comes after and that we live in light and joy and love in the truth that your son has brought. Father God, we just pray you for all these things in Jesus' name.